Welcome back to the podcast, friends. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and you are tuned into Film Literature and the New World Order, that podcast series where we examine different books and movies every single month, looking for pieces of predictive programming as well as potentially tales that can help us to understand and even process this world that we're living in in a better or more fruitful way. And on that note, we are going to be examining this month the tale of Narcissus and Goldman by Hermann Hesse, the German-Swiss author, and of course this was first published in German in 1930. And I was delighted and tickled to note one of the commenters in the previous Film Literature New World Order episode speculating, or at least uh, bringing up the idea of why on earth was this particular novel chosen for this month's conversation. And uh, please, by all means, please do speculate uh, <laughs> and share your speculations in the comment section as to the uh, next month's ed edition of this series every month. I'm always interested to hear that. But this month, I did not pick this myself. In fact, I myself am curious as to precisely why we are discussing this book. Today, this book was picked by our guest, our old friend Dr. Cheard Andringa of the University of Groningen, and hopefully you will already be familiar with Cheard, if from nothing else, then from our very interesting conversations, such as Interview 776 in the Corbett Report archives, Cheard Andringa on geopolitics and cognition, or our recent conversation on conspiracy and falsifiability. But of course, you will also hopefully know him as the gracious and generous host of my recent trip to Groningen, where I talked about Gladio B, and a good friend besides all that. Dr. Cheard Andringa, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It is a pleasure to be talking with you once again. How is a dear sleepy groaning in today? <laughs> I wouldn't say it's so sleepy, actually. Um, no, it, it's uh, it's pretty good. It's uh, always a vibrant, very nice place. Lots of students Absolutely, giving, well, yes. well, producing and, that vibrancy. And on that note, I should also direct listeners' attention to the uh, interview where we had that roundtable with some of your very interesting and engaged students that I was delighted to meet when I was there in Groningen. A very interesting conversation. I quite enjoyed it anyway. So I hope yeah, well, they, check that out. The students definitely did it as well. Excellent. Well, I hope they miss me intensely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they do. <laughs> All right. Well, that's not exactly what we're going to be talking about today, but maybe that has some part to play in what we're going to talk about today. Of course, we are talking about Narcissus and Goldman, so hopefully everyone will be on board and will have read the book in preparation for this conversation and will have their own ideas of why we might be talking about it. So why don't I cut directly to the chase and highlight the passage from the book that I think best represents why I imagine you are getting us to read this book today. And I am, of course, basing this on my knowledge of yourself and your research interests and your interests in general and geopoliticsandcognition.com, which I don't believe we've mentioned yet, but which I hope people in the audience will be familiar with. And if not, they should go there and read about geopolitics and cognition and the interesting intersection of those subjects. But given all of that, and given our previous conversation where we talked about uh, the, the, the different hemispheres of our brain and the way they process our experience differently and the idea of authority versus agency. 
I'm going to assume that this following passage was one of the, the crucial passages for what you wanted us to be thinking about today, so you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. This is on page, uh, it looks like 246 or so of the Kindle edition of this book. Quote, It was shameless how life made fun of one. It was a joke, a cause for weeping. Either one lived and let one's senses play, drank full at the primitive mother's breast, which brought great bliss but was no protection against death. Then one lived like a mushroom in the forest, colorful today and rotten tomorrow. Or else one put up a defense, imprisoned oneself for work, and tried to build a monument to the fleeting passage of life. Then one renounced life, was nothing but a tool, one enlisted in the service of that which endured, but one dried up in the process and lost one's freedom, scope, lust for life. That's what had happened to Master Nicholas. All existence seemed to be based on duality, on contrast. Either one was a man or one was a woman, either a wanderer or a sedentary burger, either a thinking person or a feeling person. No one could breathe in at the same time as he breathed out, be a man as well as a woman, experience freedom as well as order, combine instinct and mind. One always had to pay for one with the for the one with the loss of the other, and one thing was always just as important and desirable as the other. Perhaps women had it easier in this respect. Nature had created them in such a way that desire bore its fruit automatically, that the bliss of love became a child. For a man, eternal longing replaced this simple fertility. Was the god who had created everything in this manner an evil god? Was he hostile? Did he laugh ironically at his own creation? No, he could not be evil. He had created the heart and the roebuck, fish and birds, forests, flowers, the seasons, but the split ran through his entire creation. Perhaps it had not turned out right, or was incomplete, or did God intend this lack, this longing in human life for a special purpose? Was this perhaps the seed of the enemy of original sin? But why should this longing and this lack be sinful? Did not all that was beautiful and holy, all that man created and gave back to God as a sacrifice of thanks, spring from this very lack, from this longing? I'll end the passage oh, wow. there. But I, I mean, I, I, well, let me just put that out on the table. I believe this is really the central issue of the book and probably why we're examining it today. Please let me know if I'm right or wrong. It's bullseye. Yeah, I'm very, very good, uh, well uh, selected this little part. Um, indeed, what, what I think that the book is all about is about two ways of engaging uh, with uh, the world. And they are explained in this particular passage. Yeah, so one way is, is really uh, participating in the world. And one way is, is uh, trying to control it or try to control a small part of it. And uh, you can lose yourself in participating in the whole world, which Gold, what Goldman is doing, or you can actually create a little small world uh, and, and, and control it and make it a beautiful, nice, stable place, what Narcissus is doing. And actually, here it is as an opposition. But what I think, it is our task to actually integrate both. Mm. Now that's that's also what I assumed you were going to uh, the direction you were going to be leading us in. But it is interesting that this book, in especially in that passage, and even in the the title and in the way the entire narrative is framed, really does present it as a type of opposition and deals with it. I think in that passage quite directly the 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 lack and the longing that we all have because one or another of those modes predominates in our psyche. We are either the thinker or the, the doer, the, the artist or the logician. And 
although I certainly do agree and believe that we can be and all are to some extent a synthesis of the two, there is usually a predominance of one over the other in, in us. And there's something about that, that, that longing for the other side of experience that we all, I'm sure, can relate to and that forms an integral part of our psyche. I think that is interesting that that is so deeply embedded in this book. And it seems to me that the logic of the book, the narrative of the book, is driving us towards the conclusion that we should become happy in what we are. If we are the thinker or if we are the doer, we should be content in that and and aware that we will never be that other side of experience. But uh, I'm assuming that you're going to tell us that, that the synthesis is actually what we can, should be aiming for? Uh, that indeed is exactly what I... Uh, what I would personally think. Eh? So what we what we see here is two unfulfilled lives, basically. Uh, it's Goldman going into the world, experiencing an awful lot of things, and but creating actually very little. And what he creates, uh, he creates as an artist. And 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 typically, what he is doing. It, no, let, let let's go first to the other one, uh, to, to to Narcissus, who is very, very good in reading everything that other people have produced, from Aristotle, uh, Plato, all, all the, uh, the mystics of uh, Catholicism, etc. And, and he is integrating that in his mind, um, using it in a very logical way. He is uh, definitely, in the beginning, the master of Goldman, because he is actually seeing what is happening in Goldman. Uh, he becomes the abbot. And then is ruling in a in a very wise, very uh, friendly way over over the monastery. Um, but he's only engaged in a very small part of the world. And and what is happening at the end of the book is that Goldman, with all his experience and all uh, the f- fortunes and misfortunes of his life, uh, he is. Uh, creating an, an, a few works of art that he is actually bringing into uh, the monastery, and 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 so he is bringing uh, uh, the world in some sense in a in a in a uh, in an artistic way into the monastery. And what I would say is that the uh, the combination of the two is actually the thing that is that is really important. And mm. and and so we we have. Two extremes uh, longing for each other in some sense, and 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 but but basically they are two facets of all of us. Yes, and and again, I wouldn't dispute that. To me, it seems self-evident that that no one is completely the one hundred percent logical thinker, and no one is one hundred percent the the imaginary envision visionary artist doer. There is always an admixture of the two. It's just a question of which one predominates. And I'm sure in I I in everyone that I can think of or that I have ever you know gotten to know on a deep level, I would say that it's it's obvious that one side of that does predominate. But uh, I, I would normally I, I would agree with that. So the, the, every one of us has a starting point, and that starting point is either on one side or the other side. But if you look at what what, for example, Maslow is saying about self-actualization and what they call self-realization somewhere here. Actually, there is a small passage about that. Um, and, and that is very much uh, in, that is 
the realization of your full potential. And your the realization of your full potential is in part engaging with the world and in part thinking about the world and, and, and learning from that world and learning from everything in the world, uh, whether via experience or via knowledge. Right, yes. Yes, it's very much, I, I think, about that, that process of reflecting on and, and detaching ourselves to try to find the structure in the world, but then obviously engaging with the world to, to get that knowledge and experience. So I, obviously that th- those two sides of it make up uh, anyone that could potentially be called a, a well-balanced individual or a well-rounded individual. But, but to, uh, you, you point out an interesting part of this, which is that in the beginning of the narrative, it is very clear that Narcissus is the, the sort of predominant the leader of this relationship and and the one that uh, Goldman obviously looks up to and respects and treats as the authority figure in 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 a very real sense and by the end of the very end of this narrative it completely inverts and i think does so in a very interesting way where at the near the very very end we actually get into the head of narcissus thinking and yeah, reflecting finally. about yes exactly yeah. i mean and, and until that happened i hadn't really reflected on it but the whole narrative had really been from goldman's perspective really and then suddenly we get into narcissus head and we understand finally at the end of the novel that this revered figure who had been seemed sort of totemic in a way in goldman's understanding that this was you know a man who who had his life sort of sorted and ordered and and was a peaceful in his mind we 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 understand the sort of longings and and desires and gaps and uh, that exist in narcissists just as they exist in goldman so there is kind of an inversion of that relationship and of course at the very very end a very powerful uh, concluding passage that uh, almost shows that goldman is uh, in a way, completely the dominant in that relationship, that he he is the one who finally truly understands life and death in a way that narcissists presumably never can, never will. But no, but that, it, that is, I think that's a very important point. And why can't narcissists? Uh, why can't he understand it? And the reason for that is that his knowledge and 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 his wisdom is completely abstracted. And it is it is knowledge that is detached from the world. And he's saying that a number of times. That, that he is uh, about abstractions, about about uh, generalizations, and, and and things like that, and mm-hmm. uh, and therefore, he, because he detached himself from the world, uh, something as normal as dying is 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 something that is that is scary, that is that is the com- completely undiscovered terrain that is not part of his mind anymore. And hmm. that is, I think, the reason why uh, Goldman's last remark really burns in his, his mind. Hmm. I, I would read that differently because I, I would think that Narcissus, I, I, I tend to believe at face value that he is the abbot of this, uh, of this prior or whatever, um, uh, the, the cloister, and truly does believe in, in God and the afterlife and all of that. And that death doesn't concern him in that way because of that, because he has that that logical framework for understanding death. Um, but that there is something about death that he will never quite understand because he never experiences things. Uh, uh, let's, let's, let's examine a passage that, um, where Goldman and Narcissus are talking towards the end of the book about the, 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 this duality, this split. And Narcissus says, Listen, the thinker tries to determine and to represent the nature of the world through logic. He knows that reason and its tool, logic, are incomplete, the way an intelligent artist knows full well that his brushes or chisels will never be able to express perfectly the radiant nature of an angel or a saint. 
Still, they both try, the thinker as well as the artist, each in his way. They cannot and may not do otherwise. Because when a man tries to realize himself through the gifts with which nature has endowed him, he does the best and only meaningful thing he can do. That's why, in former days, I often said to you, don't try to imitate the thinker or the ascetic man, but be yourself. Try to realize yourself. So again, this is a quote from Narcissus talking to Goldman. To me, I I read that when I read this passage and, and in the context of the book, I read it unproblematically as the message of the book. Be yourself. Try to realize yourself and be, if not content with that. I mean, obviously, this the lack and, the, and the, the, the desire is still there, but content in the knowledge that that is your place in this world, that you are this, this person and that you, the best you can do is to do what you have with what you have. But uh, perhaps I read that naively. Again, this is a, a quotation from Narcissus. Maybe Hess is putting these words into Narcissus' mouth to show us that Narcissus himself doesn't quite understand the real value of what it means to be a, a, a person in this world experiencing both thinker and artist. I mean, is Narcissus deluded here that he doesn't even understand quite uh, the nature of it? I see it as two facets of of the same that are in constant dialogue with each other. And and, uh, Goldman is saying one thing and Narcissus is saying the other thing. And this is happening basically in our minds. Uh, and, 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 And we have two people in this book who are doing this as, as two different people, but it is actually two ways of engaging with the world that are constantly uh, interacting within us. So I I just see it as the story of one half of our brain. Mm. Mm. So but but in- it's, 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 it's a valid, it's, it's completely valid, your interpretation. It, it's the, I would say it's a superficial, uh, the, the, the best superficial interpretation of the book and, and is what has said explicitly put in the book mm. but what one level higher uh, seeing this is two aspects of of humanity or, or, or of any individual mm-hmm. which also there are also some some indications in the book uh, that that this is actually the case uh, Goldmund is saying that at a certain moment uh, then then you have a higher level of interpretation I would say I think you're right about that I think that clearly I mean the narrative is is such that we can read it as in a way, this, I mean, as I said at the beginning, I think everyone has, to some extent, Narcissus and Goldman in their personality. So we can read this as kind of a dialogue of an individual within an individual. So in that sense, I'm trying to think if, if, if Narcissus is the type of logical thinker who would come up with the idea that, you know, don't try to imitate the thinker or the ascetic man, but be yourself, try to realize yourself, what would be the opposite of that? What would Goldman say in in contrast to that? Well, when you read that initial uh, paragraph, uh, or the two initial paragraphs, you skipped a paragraph. Yes, yes I did. And I think, and actually I think, I I marked that one. (laughs) And there's something like, ah, life made sense only if one achieved both. Well, maybe you should read it actually. Do you have it here? Life made sense only if one achieved both. Only if it was not split by this brittle alternative. To create without sacrificing one's senses for it. To live without renouncing the nobility of creating. Was that impossible? Deal. I th- that is <laughs> so the thing that you skipped yes, is yes. actually the main message for me. Mm. 
No, very interesting. And and I didn't even consciously do that. I was just going by the what I had originally highlighted when I read it the first time. But it's interesting I did not highlight that passage. No, <laughs> and I put a, an exclamation mark in front mm. of it. <laughs> very interesting. Yes, I, 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 I am completely with you that this is an integral part of what this book is trying to get us to look at. I mean, obviously, yeah, I, it's about the nature of this this duality and what can be done with it. And Narcissus' answer seems to be, at least what he's saying, is that you have to be what you are and you can't change that. But I, I think this is, this is something like the typical Western uh, interpretation that you can hear pretty much everywhere. And, and Goldman is saying this. This is Goldman uh, thinking when he was, I think, in, the, in, in jail or so, just before he was uh, captured. Hmm. Uh, so... So Goldman actually is the one who has the deeper truth, hmm. but he has more difficulty in articulating it. Yes, yes, which of course makes sense given that you know, he thinks in images. It's difficult for him to put things in logical constructs. Yeah, but, but well, he is intelligent enough, uh, but that, that's not, not, not a problem. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, but, but he is not of the extreme logical uh, ability and inclination as narcissists. Right, and I think this gestures towards... A number of things, but also, I mean, even the ability to put things into words, to put experience into words, is something that someone who is a narcissist type will be able to do more fluidly and easily than a Goldman type. But a Goldman type is uh, able to, to put an experience into a work of art. Yes, exactly. But interestingly, he is not only, he is denied the sort of, the full, the, 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 the real aspiration of his, his entire life, which is to put his mother's image into a work of art and uh, yeah that is i think i and and why mm. and uh, i would say that that is only a possibility for the really integrated mind hmm. but but that's yes. that now i'm well I'm, you're I'm, right I'm, because at the end of the narrative goldman is a broken man and he says if he had the strength in his hands he would carve that image but yes. he doesn't anymore but he's happy enough for that because it is his mother you know squeezing the life from his heart i mean it's just such a, a really fascinating way of phrasing it and the, the ending is is very powerful in a number of levels but that is very telling isn't it that he he becomes the broken man who in his brokenness realizes he can finally do that work but he physically can't do it no and and here is something about authority uh, so an authority is someone who can shape a habitat. Uh, or, and and uh, in some sense, uh, Narcissus is the authority. He is, uh, but only, he's only an authority in his own cloister and, uh, and on, on, on a small world. And as long as the world is not too invading, uh, he is in complete control and he can be wise and, and, and well, uh, uh, create a really nice uh, part of the world. Um, and then we have... Uh, Goldman, who never really created something, except for a few works of art, but who is completely involved in the world, who knows the world uh, extremely well from birth to death and everything in between. And so if you combine those two, then you have uh, an entity, a person, who is able to to, to really shape the world uh, in a way that that uh, allows everything to blossom. And not only uh, the small part, what in, the intellectual part uh, in, in a remote part of the world, the cloister, uh, but, but much more pervasively. And, and when Goldman, he has, he can 
uh, accept death at a certain moment, but go now one step further. Suppose we have indeed those an integration of the two persons who is really creating part of the world and who is looking back at whatever has been created. That person then can, I think, accept death because all around uh, the, the, the fruits of his or her life are visible as, as, as a co-created world. Mm-hmm. So as a person you might die, but your legacy is and, and, and it is is very much around you. And I would say that that gives an an extreme peace of mind. Yes. Yes, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I mean clearly Goldman well let's let's start phrasing this in in the terms that people would expect I think from the Corbett report. I mean if we're talking about these issues of authority and agency and self-sufficiency and and things of this nature obviously dealing with such things as economic collapse or what have you clearly the Goldman type is the one who's going to survive more easily than the narcissist type because narcissist has made his little nest in the cloister and clearly rules that uh, that nest with some authority but in the event that that delicate balance is disturbed, Narcissus becomes a fish out of water and unable to cope, whereas Goldman can cope in pretty much any circumstance that nature throws at him. So, um, uh, yes, yes, maybe, maybe, but, but the Narcissus type is also the type who is going to, to control, uh, uh, when attacked, control the bigger world. So the Narcissus type might also be the one who is actually, well, running uh, the big corporations of the world. And, and, and a military industrial complex and so and and shaping the world in such a way that that he or she can control it hmm. yeah, and 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 then yes, the, the, yes. the gold right. are, are much more the people uh, uh, living in that world right. more or less can adapt for them to and, the world yes and adapt to the world right and, rather and than shape the world right yes. yeah well, I mean, shape it in a certain to a certain extent, but not structurally like a narcissist type would do. I think you're right about that. I think that's a very good insight. But to my mind, so again, I come back to this. To my mind, this is why I always continue to advocate that rather than um, centralized government and centralized authority and centralized structures of power, which I think is fundamentally what, I don't know, I don't want to say we, but what I am... Yeah fighting against in so many different ways, in so many different aspects, economically, financially, and governmentally, and all of this. Uh, As opposed to that, the way that we best combat that is through decentralized and uncoordinated leaderless resistance, where everyone is sort of an individual acting in their own way, because it is... I, I still come back to this. There are, uh, in my mind, there are the narcissist types who who have that structure and the ability to think structurally and logically and can shape the sort of greater systemic conditions of the world. And there are the Goldman types who are better at adapting and showing others how to how to adapt to various circumstances and shaping sort of the mini, miniature world around them in a way that will uh, help to see them through. And to my mind, it's that that's the, the the beauty of this leaderless de- decentralized uncoordinated resistance is that there will be different types who will approach these problems from different ways and it's in that collection of different people coming together uh, out of necessity if nothing else that we will find the real answers and the way forward i don't I, in my conception it's never going to be one person who's going to encapsulate all of that and i think that it still strikes me as 
idealistic utopian to to think that we're all going to become the narcissist and goldmund the the combined entity and and somehow face the world in that way um but but please convince me that that i'm wrong on that well i, I would um in in general terms i'm i'm completely uh uh in agreement but there's one one thing that i think we we disagree a little bit about that's the interpretation about what it means actually to be a combination of goldman and and narcissus so uh if we want to have that that leaderless the decentralized world then we need actually uh uh, people who are able to create co-create a world in which it is good to live, and that co-creation process uh, that that entails basically that that everyone can contribute to with his or her actions uh, to a world in which it is ever better to to to, to live. And what we are, what is happening now is that. Uh, People in many cases are not able to do that, so they are looking for a central authority, and and they are giving their agency away to that central authority, and and basically when they are really unhappy with that central authority, and then they might choose another one, but it's still a central authority. So what is really needed is that people don't need that central authority anymore, and therefore they have to internalize the role of authority. They have to internalize. They have a to the, the the ability to actually uh, co-create a world themselves uh, and with with an enormous diversity of different ways that like like you said and with all kinds of different approaches but in all cases they have to uh, choose actions that in general are beneficial for the whole and and choosing those actions is something that is extremely difficult and, and that you have to learn, and, and f- for which I think we need both approaches. We need both uh, that, that, that participation, engagement of the world characteristic of Goldman, and the logical, abstractive uh, abilities of Narcissus. And, and we, we, you need to, to uh, acquire wisdom by engaging from the world, learning from other people, uh, thinking about your own thoughts, adapting uh, your own thoughts, adopting better practices all the time, and and so uh, gradually come up with better and better structures to co-create. There seems to be a a sort of hidden utilitarian premise in in your argument there that (laughs) I think perhaps bears questioning. But but before we get too lost in the narcissist side of this conversation, I fear we might be losing the Goldmans in the audience. We are are talking about this very structurally and and logically, but I think we need to put this in, in concrete terms. What does this actually look like for people who are living their their current realities in whatever situation they may find themselves their nine to five cub- cubicle jobs or or their 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 blue collar worker jobs or whatever it may be listening to this conversation wondering how this relates to their their daily experience let alone the the new world order broadly defined um what what does this actually look like when we start seeing people who are able to to exert this this ability to co-create their 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 world around them I would basically say that well, everyone is doing it to some degree already. If you have friends, uh, then you're co-creating together uh, a situation that is nice uh, for 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 you uh, among friends. So if you if you're able to 
to to give that more and more substance and to 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 change that 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 the, the things that you can do among friends, uh, also in your work environment, also in your living environment, and 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 to to gradually uh, take more and more roles of the government uh, over and 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 distribute them among yourself, and therefore make make centralized authority gradually irrelevant. Uh, that that would think is 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 the normal course of action. I find myself again and again coming down to simply the level of, uh, I mean, I mean to, to put it at its most basic level, the food. I mean, the ability to grow one's own food or at least source That's one's own food. Point. Yes, yeah. I, I, exactly. I mean, to fulfill the, if we're going to look at Maslow's pyramid of needs or hierarchy of needs or whatever, uh, uh, then obviously we have to start there. You have to be able to provide food and shelter for yourself and, and your family in a way that will you know, I mean, that, that you can be the authority. And obviously, the the development of civilization in the 21st century context has taken away so much of that authority from the average person that it seems to me that the, the sort of ground level fundamental thing that we all have to do is to start finding ways to, to detach ourselves from that system and to become more co-creators of our own existence when it comes to our food and, and living environment. I wonder... What then is the next stage after that point? Because I find myself coming back again and again to say that the geopolitics and all of these things that are going on are these grand systems that it seems like there is no way for the the average person out there to insert themselves into that, um, at least not at the point where we're still dependent on that economic and geopolitical reality for our daily bread. Well... I mean, of course, you know, we 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 have our uh, our own uh, vegetable uh, farm, uh, and so we we already start there, and that is that is really really great, and it is a very very active way of of contributing. But uh, the hierarchy of needs of Maslow has another very important uh, low level uh, need that has to be satisfied, and that is safety, and. And then the geopolitics uh, politics comes really uh, uh, strongly in it. I, I just listened to uh, Daniela Genser in, in the, um, the, the the link that you uh, had sent in the uh, members uh, um, uh, video in the subscriber um, newsletter. Yeah, a link to the Mind Renewed's conversation, uh, Julian Charles's conversation with Doctor Doctor Daniel Genser on Operation Gladio. Exactly that one. And and he had a had a number of very simple ways of phrasing how, how to uh, how to interpret uh, NATO and and and, and uh, well about all kinds of covert types of things. And basically, yeah, we, we we should think about it and think about what is the source of our of, of our fears. And and one of the things uh, that I think is ex- extremely important, and what he was sort of saying. Is that that the fear is in many cases an illusion, uh, and and it's it's just a fabrication, and and something like that is is fairly easy to to change. And it, of course, we have to. Uh, the, the world is uh, is it's it's more or less created by those people uh, that, that that want us to be fearful, uh, but still, we we have all kinds of ways to to influence that. And especially now in this situation with Ukraine and, and all the other things going on, uh, the, the, 
the story of the, the geopolitical story that is being presented to us is is rather flimsy, I mm. would say. Yes, you know, I mean, a, it's interesting. You 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 phrase that in such a way that it. I, I'm sure I've had this thought many, many different times in many different ways, but it's just occurred to me in a, in a different way. And I suppose we could take our metaphor from a different uh, piece of fiction, The Wizard of Oz. It, it seems like that the idea behind alternative media generally could be that pulling back of the curtain to expose the wizard as just the little man pulling the buttons and or pu- pulling the levers and pushing the buttons, not really something to be feared at all. And that in and of itself is a fundamental aspect of of the importance of of unseating that authority that is ruling over us and putting ourselves in that position of authority realizing that all of these machinations to make us fearful is nothing other than tricks and uh, and deceptions once i mean just the realization of that is in and of itself freeing in many ways yeah but what I, I'm always surprised that when, when I say that uh, when you have a, uh, a big military in the United States, their first priority is enemies. How can they have enough enemies to sustain uh, their own uh, uh, defense budget? And I'm, I'm always, well, people may ignore me or so, but I never get uh, someone who is saying, oh, this is completely ludicrous. And people, people... I usually, hey, well, that's a nice way or, or, of, of putting it, and they, they might ignore me, but but everyone kind of agrees. Mm. Mm. And, and, and so then I wouldn't be surprised that we are pretty close to tipping points. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm. At least I hope. No, I, I certainly hope so, uh, too. And hopefully what we're all doing our part to, to push that tipping point a little bit uh, further ahead. Um, uh, in uh, further to us, closer to us, you know what I mean. Um, yeah. Yes, uh, I, I I would like to think so. And again, trying to take this back down to the personal level, I mean, obviously, on the big geopolitical scale, we look at you know the United States or NATO or what have you creating enemies and uh, in order to to justify their own militaristic existence. And and, and again, looking at this in terms of even our, our personal relationships and what kind of understanding we can take away from that, um, I, 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 does, this, does this relate to the individual in the way that perhaps in our own lives we create enemies, as it were, in order to, 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 to preserve bits of ourselves or to extend bits of ourselves that perhaps are egotistically pleasing, but not necessarily fulfilling our, of ourselves as individuals. Am I being too abstract here? <laughs> I, I'm sure you know what I mean, that people who sometimes create their own problems in order to have some sort of way to interact with others in the world. Yeah, but, but maybe that I have to think about this, uh, but we, we, we need to motivate ourselves. And in a world in which there is... Uh, we don't have the basic motivations anymore, like uh, like food and and and, uh, and and shelter and things like that. That's all taken care of. Uh, we're going for a different type of motivation, and I think many of us uh, spend an awful lot of time uh, before television or so, and uh, and then after a while, they discovered that it was not nourishing. It it was not delivering anything. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if if uh, people start to to realize uh, that that uh, whatever is is given to them uh, by the big corporations and and, and and the current authorities is not at all nourishing. And and then we come a little bit in that direction of okay, maybe 
those influences are actually a little bit like the influences of an enemy. And, and, and then we can, can use that, uh, that, that sense of, of there is an enemy actually in a, in a productive way. Hmm. Is, is, that, hmm. is that kind of an answer or a kind yes, of a response? Yes, I, I would accept that as an answer. That's, that's very interesting. Um, but again, I keep coming back to this idea that it sounds like what you're proposing. To me, the idea of, of us in some way becoming Narcissus and Goldman uh, together and realizing both sides of our potentiality sounds to me like the completed, the completed individual, the completed man, the completed well, woman. I, and I, I, can actually, I can actually give it uh, easily substance. If you look at uh, the definitions of, of an educated mind, and there is uh, someone called Perry who wrote a book about it that I, I don't have it, uh, have it here, but we, we can link to it probably. Um, and basically what he is saying, the mark of an educated mind is the ability to examine your own thoughts, to examine the data that you use, to examine uh, the, 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 the uh, suppositions that you're using. And that is the logic part. Yeah, so, so basically you use the, the narcissus contribution uh, to think about everything you learn from the world, the, the government, from your interaction with the world. And, and then you... Uh, if, if you learn how to examine your own thoughts and, and to uh, improve your, the quality of your thoughts, to gradually uh, adopt better uh, thought practices, better data, etc., uh, then you, you are developing yourself very quickly because every thought is going to be better than the previous thought. And, and then I think we have the, the, the integrated uh, individual uh, who is both engaged in the world and able to think about his own thoughts, uh, and 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 that is already known, and and it's it is actually it leads to uh, a phenomenon that we all know, and that is wisdom, the ability to create uh, to contribute to a world in which it is good to live in. So so I think this is a very normal process. It is only the abnormality is is is. Uh, pulling the two sides uh, away from each other. Is the scientific method itself a sort of civilization level version of what this we are uh, we're talking about in terms of individuals insofar as the scientific method is to go out into the world and conduct the experiments and gather the data and then to you know use our, our logic and structural analysis to find out what that means and how we connect it together? Well, yeah, yes, I would say absolutely yes, uh, but it is not exclusively uh, for science. And in all fairness, I don't think that science is doing a very good job at this. And so we, in science, uh, we we ended up in a situation in which everyone is studying one little part of the world, uh, like Narcissus is is controlling uh, his own is his monastery and nothing else, um, and 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 well, we come up with all kinds of theories that pertain only to that little part. And we have great, great, great difficulty in, in actually uh, discovering that two theories derived from uh, two different domains of science are actually uh, perspectives on exactly the same. And, and just two different ways of looking to a deeper truth. And, and for me, that is what, what science actually should be. And, and well, we are now writing a paper that is called Cognition from Life. It, it's it's not, not out yet. Uh, hopefully it will be accepted by the reviewers. But that is, is going in that 
direction in which we basically say, if you look at the definition of life, what can we already say about uh, the all of psychology? And, and, and that is the story that we tell is actually very much uh, associated with, with the book uh, that we're discussing today. Accepted by the reviewers? Cheered, you should be co-creating your own environment and not accepting the authority of others. <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. But I, I, I also agree to play the game of science. And, uh, and, and now and again, I try to, to uh, how do you say that, uh, put a little bit of a wrench in the system. and, and <laughs> You're doing an admirable job at that. I'm very much looking forward to that paper. I, and please do let me know when it is available and I will let the audience know because I, I really... Okay. I I mean, that's just obviously the heart of what we're talking about. All right. Well, (laughs) just to draw this this, uh, conversation to some sort of conclusion in the place where where we began, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. I I quoted the passage that I quoted and skipped over a couple of paragraphs. You've dropped my attention to one more paragraph, but there is still one paragraph that in the middle that we still have not read. So let's read that paragraph right now. Again, this is Goldman uh, thinking about uh, this nature of this duality. And he had just said, as we quoted earlier, life made sense only if one achieved both, only if it was not split by this brittle alternative to create without sacrificing one's senses for it, to live without renouncing the nobility of creating, was that impossible? And then the next paragraph, perhaps there were people for whom this was possible. Perhaps there were husbands and heads of families who did not lose their sensuality by being faithful. Perhaps there were people who, though settled, did not have hearts dried up by lack of freedom and lack of risk. Perhaps. He had never met one. So yeah. the question cheered, have you ever met one? Um, I think I do. I did to some degree, yes. And the interesting thing is that they are not so very conspicuous. Hmm. They are the people who, who quietly create... Uh, a small world for themselves and for others and 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 really contribute to 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 a better world and and in many cases they are a little bit overwhelmed by by the rest of the world that has no such abilities but i wouldn't be surprised if we are actually on our path that more and more people are becoming able to do this and it, it might actually become a norm at some point in time. Hmm. And, and then, actually, when you're thinking about the Middle Ages, this is the 14th century where this is playing, and now I would say actually we made a lot of progress. It, it's, it's not all progress, but, but I, would, I, I don't think that the quality of living for pretty much everyone 600 years ago uh, was as good as it is now. And, and it yes. takes quite an effort yes. of our leaders to, to screw that process up. Hmm. No, that's quite true. Well, you have obviously given us a ton of food for thought um, with, this, with this book and with this conversation, but Sorry. in the interest of satisfying my own curiosity, uh, I, I am probably of the opinion that I think that the answer to the question I'm about to pose would probably be best served by all of us thinking about this in our own way, but I will ask you directly to, again, to satisfy my own curiosity. What, then, do you recommend as a method or a way of trying to develop 
that other side of our personality that does not predominate. If one is more narcissist than Goldman or one more Goldman than narcissist, how does one bring out and foster that other side? Uh, oh, what? Uh, play. The word play. Play, play, play. Uh, I, I, I think that the, uh, as an educator, I'm thinking, uh, how can I teach students uh, the most? And, and I think when they are in a playful mode, uh, engaged with kind of serious stuff, uh, they learn the most. And they have a lot of fun at the same time. So I would say play. Playing, you can only play when you engage with the world and when you are, are, are reflecting a little bit and what, what is working, what is not working. What, what, and and yeah, so if you make that play a little bit serious, a little bit critical on yourself, a little bit of metacognition, thinking about your own playing, that, that, I think that that's a very simple advice, but, but it, mm. it might be really powerful. I, it resonates a lot with me, and I, I certainly see what you're saying. But again, I think everyone has to find their own way to negotiate this, and it probably depends so much on everyone's own individual experience, appropriately enough. All right. Well, again, as I say, we've had a quite an interesting conversation and quite a very interesting book. And let me thank you very much for commending this book and bringing it to my attention because it is a book that I probably would never have read in my entire life if it had not been put in front of me in such a way. And I'm glad that it was because it strikes me that I I really do believe myself to be more narcissist than Goldman. And yet I do believe I do have the Goldman within me. And uh, it brings to my mind the, uh, the, the, the sort of earlier uh, incarnation of my life in which I was convinced I was going to be a novelist. <laughs> and uh, and it, 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 reading this book really made me think once again about that, that aspiration and that sort of side of me that has uh, not been lost, but certainly is, is not at the forefront anymore. And, and reading this book in and of itself, if only because it is such a beautifully written book, has, uh, has really inspired me to want to write uh, something fictional again so i don't know if anything will come of that but at any rate i i thank you for bringing this to our attention and for for bringing this whole conversation to 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 my attention it's the kind of thing i love to to think about and i hope the audience does too i hope so well we'll leave it there uh dr sheard andringa once again let's uh, direct people to geopoliticsandcognition.com where obviously you have a lot more resources about the types of topics we're talking about today are there uh, any other resources I, I should update it more yes uh, you should probably do it in summer <laughs> but definitely not now yes well fair enough you are a busy man in other respects besides so are there any other resources you'd like to direct people to no, no, that's it. Okay, well, we'll leave it there, and uh, there will be, of course, show notes with links to various of the things that we have mentioned in this conversation. Dr. Cheer Dandringa, always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for your time today. No problem. All right, friends, that brings to a close another edition of this Film Literature in the New World Order podcast. And before we go, as always, let's take a moment just to acknowledge some of the feedback that we got from last month's conversation. In fact, there was a lot of feedback from last month's conversation. You'll remember that last month we were talking to Richard Andrew Grove about Philip Drew, Administrator, by Edward Mandel House. And we got a lot of different comments from that, not only on the website, but also through email. 
Just going briefly through some of the uh, the comments that we received on the website itself, we had, for example, Steve Kelly 911 saying, "Great discussion. I think the connections of Mandel House really get right to the crux of who pulls the strings of the Federal Reserve. The City of London and the merchant banking dynasties of the British Empire may have lost the U.S. in the Revolutionary War, but just over 100 years later, they got it back solidly in 1913. Wilson was probably a bigger puppet than Nixon." And he goes on to recommend Treasure Islands by Nicholas Shaxon. So I hope people will check that out. Uh, David Brown says, outstanding discussion, gentlemen. This is perhaps your best work to date, in my opinion. Uh, Philip says, I can't imagine two people better people to discuss this book and I have some minor points that James and Richard didn't mention and he goes on for example to talk about the quote from Mazzini at the beginning of the book noting that Mazzini was an early promoter of a united Europe and he says I wonder what House had to say about Mazzini in his private papers I suppose that quoting Mazzini was a little more subtle than quoting Machiavelli uh, we had Torben Bohansen leaving a comment, uh, very interesting indeed. House was advisor to President Woodrow Wilson, but who advised House? Uh, and for those interested, more information on Edward Mandel House can be found in the book The Controversy of Zion by Douglas Reed, Chapter 29, The Ambition of Mr. House. And there's a link there in that, uh, in that comment. Uh, Bile Jones says, uh, Scott Horton, late of anti-war radio fame, did a series of interviews channeling Philip Drew about a decade ago. Uh, John D. Jasper uh, writes, I've just listened to the audiobook of Philip Drew Administrator at LibriVox, and I'm amazed that anybody ever read this book to the end. It should come with a warning to keep a sick bucket handy at all times. I'd love to think that it was indeed uh, intended as a spoof of the powerful men of that era who worked hard to mold their societies according to their visions, regardless of what anyone else may have wanted. Yet I suspect that this was Colonel House's own vision of how the US sh USA should be reformed if he only had the opportunity. Well done on producing a very interesting podcast, and Steve Kelly 911 adds, maybe the bad literary quality was part of the agenda in putting something out there without making it popular enough to be the mainstream, or he was a pathetic author. Either one is possible. <laughs> I know which one is my uh, my preference when it comes to those options. Kush350 writes, from the Small World Report, I was employed by the CRI and SP Railroad that jointly ran the Trinity and Brazos Valley Railway with CNS Parent Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy Railroad. And that uh, TBV was, of course, co-founded by Edward Mandel House. And Larry also wrote that uh, he was disappointed that Richard Grove forgot to mention the best nonfiction book about, among other crucial matters, House, Roselle Martin's Fabian Freeway, High Road to Socialism in the USA, 1884 to 1966, which shows that House is not only a member of the Rhodes Conspiracy, but also a Fabian socialist. And the Fabians met regularly, regularly with the Rhodes imperialists, and they formed a dining club expressly for that purpose. Finally, we also had that comment in from Philip, which I mentioned during today's conversation. Why Narcissus and Goldman? Having just reread it, I am truly stumped as to why James selected this modern classic for FLNWO, perhaps merely to atone for Philip Drew. That would be reason enough. I can't wait to find out. Well, I hope that this podcast at least met your expectations or hopefully exceeded them, Philip. So thank you for that. And if anyone cares to speculate on next month's film or uh, or book each month, by all means, do so. Use the uh, comment section to do so. Of course, members can log into the website and leave their feedback directly there on the post. And uh, the link to last month's conversation will be in this month's conversation in case you need a link to it. All right, having said all of that, it is time now to assign your homework for next month. 
So next month, on the third Monday of the month, as always, we are going to be discussing a film. And this time a film uh, that stars Clint Eastwood. And although Clint Eastwood is very much in the news and in the uh, alternative media information space in at this current time for his latest movie, his latest directorial effort, American Sniper, glorifying the... Uh, uh, Navy SEAL sniper Chris Kyle, and that's an interesting story, and there's much to be said about it, but a lot of it has been said in the alt media from what I've seen. So we're going to look at a very, 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 very different Clint Eastwood movie. This one, not from 2015, but from 1989, and not directed by Clint Eastwood, but starring Clint Eastwood. I am referring to Pink Cadillac. Yes, indeed. A very, very, very different choice for next month's conversation. So I hope you'll join join me there, and I hope you'll watch the uh, the film in advance. As always, this is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Thanking you so much for joining me for this podcast, and I'm looking forward to talking to you again very soon.